listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. Today, I want to talk about being intentional, being courageous, and being unstoppable, because those are three traits of a genuinely spirit-filled follower of Jesus Christ. Being intentional, being courageous, and being unstoppable. Now, where we're going to learn about this is in Acts chapter 14, as we continue, verse by verse through the entire book of Acts, turn with me in our Lord's word to Acts chapter 14, and you're going to learn a thing or two, you're going to relearn a thing or two about being intentional, being courageous, and being unstoppable when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse one. Now at Iconium they entered, this is Barnabas and Paul, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed, Jews and non-Jews. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now interesting here that Barnabas is not one of the original 12 apostles who is called an apostle here, interestingly enough. We'll get into that in a moment. God is performing miraculous signs and wonders through Barnabas as well. So there were signs and wonders done by their hands, verse four. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia and the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Laconian, the local language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, two of the Greek gods in Greek mythology, Greek culture. They called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, to the gates of the temple, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, notice that Barnabas is called an apostle here, when they heard it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
In past generations, he, God, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. This is just a frenzy because they recognize how significant this miraculous supernatural healing was. And they're listening to the words of Barnabas and Paul as they're sharing the gospel. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And so their first missionary journey comes to its conclusion. They come full circle, having traveled about 300 miles or so from Antioch, that kind of a distance, and then they've come back to Antioch, and now Paul and Barnabas are completing what's known as, in hindsight, the first of their missionary journeys. Verse 27, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. So again, we're seeing in the book of Acts how big of a deal it is, it's a huge deal, that the gospel has gone to the non-Jewish people, those who did not have the law. It's a big deal. This is something that Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians. He refers to it in chapter three as a mystery not made known to previous generations, that God, through Christ, has brought the Jew and the non-Jew, all the people of the earth who simply give their life to Christ, into one body called the church. That's something that the Jewish people didn't fully comprehend, even though there are nods toward that. There are indications of that in the Old Testament that one day God would do this, but hindsight's 2020. They didn't know exactly how it was going to come about. Okay, they didn't quite understand that until it actually had come about. So Paul and Barnabas are living in that day, they're living in that age where this is being fulfilled. That the gospel, that salvation, is now being extended to the non-Jewish people. And what does that do in regard to the 21st century, where we're at today in regard to racism? Helps us understand again that God loves all people. He created all people. That we're all descendants from Adam and from Eve. That's why we inherit a sin nature. And again, 
There was not a black Jesus who died for black people and a white Jesus who died for white people and a Middle Eastern Jesus who died only for Middle Eastern people or a Russian Jesus or an Asian Jesus. And what kind of an Asian Jesus? A Korean Jesus, a Chinese Jesus, a Japanese Jesus? There's one sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Your sins and mine, the sins of all the people of all the earth, and what's needed is for each individual on the earth to come to terms with that sacrifice for themselves. Many of us have done that. We've come to terms and recognize that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of not just the sins of the world, but for your personal forgiveness, for for your personal sins. And that's how you came to know Christ for the very first time. You acknowledge what Jesus did for you and you accepted Christ. And there's always that first time when you repent and you realize that you're a sinner and Jesus isn't, and you gave your life to Christ. And others, you might be hearing what I'm saying right now, and you might say, well, I grew up in the church. I'm pretty much, when I compare myself to other people, I'm a pretty decent person. Or you might say, I've been a pretty immoral person, haven't been a very decent person. You know, the problem is that God does not compare us to each other. He compares us to his sinless son, Jesus. God's standard is perfection. A recent poll was conducted, two polls, by the Pew Research Study. And they conducted two polls, and for the first time in history, Americans, 56% of Americans, they polled about 5,000 people, believed that it's possible to be good without having any religious affiliation and without even believing in God. Now, there's a huge problem with that because I think it goes back to, it can be traced back to the definition of good. If we define good as being compared to other people, then we might have nicer mouths than other people, we might have a more generous spirit than somebody else than our neighbor or family members or coworkers. Good can be a relative thing, humanly speaking, and it's also a relative thing, divinely speaking. The problem with the poll and the problem with the understanding of the people who took the poll in most instances because of the conclusion is that good is being understood synonymously with polite. And of course you can be polite without God. You don't need to know the gospel to be a relatively polite person. To use a fork and a knife, to use a napkin, right? To wipe your mouth with that napkin, both sides of your mouth, you wanna do that, right? to make sure that you don't interrupt people when they talk. You can be a polite person. You don't need God for that. There are atheists and agnostics, people who aren't sure whether there is a God who are polite. In fact, some of the most impolite behavior, can I be really honest for a moment? You know where I'm going with this. Some of the most impolite behavior by people happens within the four walls of a church or among Christians. Think about gossip and slander and the sin that many of us are going to commit in just a few hours from now, the sin of gluttony. You're gonna sit down to lunch and you're gonna eat too much and you're gonna say, what did I just do? It's too late. So good, from God's perspective, doesn't mean polite. In fact, Jesus said, nobody's good. In Mark chapter 10, you can look at it for yourself. When they're calling Jesus good, they're saying good teacher, he says, why are you calling me good? Nobody's good except God himself. And what Jesus is doing is whetting their appetite to help them understand, you're right in calling me good, 
And the only reason why you're right is because I'm not a mere mortal, I'm also God. But God's definition of good, God's standard of good is holiness. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so the real way that those polls should have been conducted, they should have asked people, do you believe it's possible to be holy without God? That's a whole different game changer. See, that's what you need in your life and what I need in my life. And if you don't believe that, then explain the cross. The cross, thankfully, is the fly in our ointment. Comfortable lives where we can go our own way thinking we don't need God, thinking we can be good without God, well, good is not good enough. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The cross is God's statement that you have a problem and I have a problem, and God is the solution. And that problem is one of a lack of holiness. Being good morally polite, being kind to your neighbor is not enough. If it was, then why would we need all of the Old Testament? Why would we need the cross? In fact, the cross is the biggest perplexing problem in all of the history of civilization. It's perplexing because why would God send his only son to die that kind of a death on the cross if it was unnecessary for the removal of your sins and mine? If you could be good enough, if I could be good enough, if it were possible to be good enough apart from the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then Christ died for nothing. So you can't be good without God. I can't be good without God as God defines goodness, which is holiness without sin, okay? So you might be here today, or you might be listening right now on the radio or through the podcast, and you might say, you know, I'm a pretty polite person, at least in public, in private, that's a different story. Well, we're just making the case stronger, aren't we? You might say, well, I uh, serve in church, I minister in my church, I give generously financially, I try to be kind and polite, I don't interrupt people, or you might be at the other end of the spectrum, that's an easy sale. You know, if you know that you're immoral, if you know that you've got some dark, deep things in your past, then your problem could be thinking that your sin's too big for the shadow of the cross. But it's not. The cross casts an infinitely large shadow. It is sufficient for every single one of your sins, the serious ones that you think are unforgivable and the ones that you might think are insignificant, they're all significant, all of us are equal at the foot of the cross, red, yellow, black, and white, we're all precious, we're all needy in God's sight. So you might be listening and you might say, I need to give my life to Christ because I cannot be simply morally good simply polite, God's standard is perfection. And I've missed that mark that Jesus hit as a bullseye. God's one and only uniquely brought forth son, Jesus, died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. The question is, will you accept that sacrifice? Will you accept that gift or reject it? If you reject it, then you're in for a life of futility. Trying to be good 
maybe hitting it from human standards, but after all, nobody's going to appear before the judgment seat of your mother or the judgment seat of your father or the judgment seat of a church. We're all going to appear believers at the judgment seat of Christ and non-believers at the great white throne judgment spoken of in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, you enter eternal life separated from God. That's the truth. The most loving thing that I can do is tell you the truth, even if it makes you uncomfortable. In fact, until you give your life to Christ, there has to be a time where you are uncomfortable with your own sin. You are uncomfortable with the fact that you're separated from God. There has to be a bit of spiritual angst, discontentedness. That's what leads you to experience the peace of God that surpasses human intellectual insight the moment you give your life to Christ. And if you can identify with the before and after experience of giving your life to Christ and knowing for the first time the forgiveness of your sins, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to shout amen. Amen. So once we give our lives to Christ, then the question is the role of the Holy Spirit. And here what we're looking at in the book of Acts is a book of examples of what spirit-filled living looks like, not just for the apostles, but for every single follower of Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit fills an individual, there are certain characteristics, and the first one that we want to look at now is intentionality. Intentionality, having a hit list of someone or some people who you are targeting with whom you can share the gospel. I remember being in Little Italy on Canal Street a number of years ago, and we were in a restaurant, went into this restaurant, and I saw a strange sight over on the other side of the restaurant, great Italian restaurant, and there was an older Italian gentleman with gold rings almost on every finger, and a couple of thick gold chains around his neck, and sitting beside him was a considerably younger woman. Considerably younger. I mean, noticeably younger. And that in itself wouldn't have stood out in New York, okay, but really what caught my attention, not even the gold rings, I grew up in an Italian Catholic family, so gold was part of the uh, daily thing that you would wear. You'd put on your gold rings, especially your little pinky ring. If you've seen My Cousin Vinny, you get an understanding of what I'm talking about. If you've seen The Godfather, you understand a little bit of uh, what the Italian culture at least used to look like, especially in New York and the cities and of, of the country. But the thing that stood out for these particular individuals is that they were sitting on the same side of the table with nobody else at the table. They were sitting side by side with their backs against the wall. Now, why would you do that? Why would you hang out with your mistress, why would she hang out with her man in a nice Italian restaurant and sit on the same side of the table with your back against the wall? Because you don't know what I know about Italian culture, where there is such a thing as being on a hit list. And you don't want somebody coming up from behind you and ambushing you So you sit with your back against a wall so that you can see anybody and everybody who might come into that place, at least you're going to see it coming. 
if that's your last bowl of spaghetti and meatballs, you want to be able to see the gugutsu comes in and offs you, okay? You don't want to be taken out from behind. There's this thing in Italian culture, such a thing called a hit list, at least it used to be. Now there's uh, the, the new gangs that are out with hit lists, and you can read about those in the headlines as we're seeing some of these gruesome deaths that are occurring. But there's this idea in gangs, and at least previously, I don't know, I don't run in that circle. Uh, I don't want to say any more, like I ran in that circle, right? <laughs> This idea of a hit list, right? Now, in a negative sense, you would never have a hit list for taking out another human being, their life. But in a positive sense, where you want to cause people to cross over from death to life, from death to life, because they come to know Christ as their savior, you should have a spiritual hit list. You should have an intentionality about how you're living in the workplace and in your neighborhood and in your family where you are targeting people who are spiritually dead who need to be spiritually alive. Barnabas and Paul did this. Look with me at verse one of Acts chapter 14. It's right here. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. This we have seen already is Paul and Barnabas' practice. They go into a city, what do they do? They hightail it to the synagogue because they know that that's where, remember in Romans chapter one verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the non-Jew. So we're seeing the practice again and again that they go into a city. First place they go is to the Jews in the synagogue because they would have had the Old Testament, which is the schoolmaster that leads people to understand the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. So they're starting where there's soil that has been prepared, hopefully hearts that have been prepared through the word of God. But they are being intentional. Paul and Barnabas are being intentional. They had a hit list. They had a strategy and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, not distracted with lesser things, which is so easy today to be distracted with lesser things. Can I get an amen for that? Aren't we as a society suffering from attention deficit disorder, spiritual attention deficit disorder, where we are distracted by lesser things? That's why we don't have a hit list. That's why we don't care about our neighbors or our coworkers or our family members, the people in our neighborhoods, in our life groups, our small groups. If you're not part of a life group yet, you're not experiencing the fullness of life that you could. You need to be part of a life group. Our life groups are becoming more and more intentionally outwardly focused because we're under a transition, like many churches need to undergo a transition where it becomes about me, myself, and I, and we start looking at our belly buttons, we start examining ourselves. You know, we get all this great spiritual food and all this great teaching and we forget about the lost. It becomes all about how much more stuff can I cram into my cranium. I just want to eat, 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 eat. The word of God, the word of God, the word of God. Listen, you need to apply, apply, and apply what God is teaching you. You need to reach out to other people. And our life groups are intentional, missional outposts 
where we want to hear testimonies of how your life group reached out in that neighborhood and was evangelistic and missional and intentional because if you're not doing that in your life group, if you're not doing that in your personal life, if you're not doing that as a family where you're being intentional in reaching out to the lost, there's a good indication that you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. There are all kinds of debates today about what's the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you what one of the evidences is that we should all agree upon based on the word of God. If and when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll give a rip about the lost. You will care about lost people who will go into an eternity forever, and that's a pretty long time, separated from God. An eternity separated from God. And what we see with Barnabas and Paul is a great thing for us to understand and to embrace ourselves. They are filled with the Holy Spirit and they have a strategy. They are being intentional. They get their boots on the ground and they hightail it right over to the synagogue where they know that there should be some low-hanging fruit. These people have been taught the Old Testament and they're going to do what? They're going to teach those people from the Old Testament about Jesus, the Jewish Old Testament Messiah. I'm not ashamed, Romans 1.16, of the gospel of God. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And this is exactly how it's going down here in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, throughout the whole book of Acts. And at the end of Acts chapter 14, they're reporting, the gospel went to the Gentiles. An amazing thing. So the question for you and for me is, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Is there evidence of you being intentional with your coworkers, with your family, with your neighbors? Because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll care about the lost. You will have a spiritual hit list. Maybe you'll write it out on a piece of paper, that person's name, and you'll keep it by your bedside right next to your Bible that you have there. Remember, you're reading the Bible at night before you go to bed, and you're reading the Bible in the morning when you get up. You're sandwiching your day with the word of God and in between the meat of applying it, putting it into action. Hey, right there you'll have the name of that person or those people and you'll be praying for them. You'll intercede for them. You'll ask that God would open up their eyes, soften their heart, work in their mind that they'd be transformed. You might say to yourself, but seems pointless, seems fruitless. I'm not seeing any change in that person's life, in these people's lives. I'm not seeing any change. Maybe God hasn't chosen them. How dare you? You don't know whether God's chosen that person. None of us knows what God alone knows. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll not only be intentional and have a hit list and pray for people and be concerned about people, you'll also be courageous in sharing the gospel with the people who need to hear it. Look with me. Acts 14, verses two and three. So they spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed, verse two. But the unbelieving or the disobedient could also be translated as that. The unbelieving or the disobedient Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So... They left that place with their tails between their legs. 
got out of there. That's what we tend to do when there's a little bit of pressure. You see, the most effective form of persecution is the kind that makes us feel uncomfortable steadily, where maybe we're in a work environment where we start believing I can't live my faith openly and we let the peer pressure get the best of us and before you know it, you're not a living sacrifice, you're a walking contradiction. Before you know it, you're more concerned about the opinions of people than you are the opinions of God and you start giving in. You start sitting down and shutting up instead of standing up and speaking out. Maybe you're concerned somebody that you know has a very aggressive personality and they're ready to shut you down anytime you share the gospel, anytime you want to talk about Jesus, anytime you simply want to walk with the Lord. And if you're not careful, that form of persecution will render you ineffective in your witness for Jesus. You have to be aware of that kind of persecution. The most obvious form of persecution is the kind that's overt. This happens later on in this very section of scripture in the 14th chapter where the persecution got so severe that they conspired and they wanted to stone them. And that's when Paul and Barnabas knew, you know what, I'm not gonna be able to lead anybody to Christ if we're dead. So let's leave under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit. They left to another geographic area and continued to be faithful. But in your life and in mine, at least at this point, particular point in the United States of America and in many parts of the world, especially the Western world, we have the freedom to preach the gospel, we just don't use it. We have the freedom to preach the gospel, we just don't use it because with the passage of time, we allow peer pressure, fear pressure, to back us into a corner and then we begin to think about me, myself, and I and how uncomfortable it is, right? Comfort and convenience become our idols. How uncomfortable it is to stand up and speak out for Christ. That's a very effective form of persecution. It's often subtle, it's often constant, and there's really no teeth in the bite behind it. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? Your coworker could think less of you. Your family member could think less of you. I remember my father, before I got to lead him to Christ, thought, <laughs> uh, I couldn't tell you the four-letter word that he used for me in his address book. Instead of my first name, he had a different four-letter word for me. Actually, it was an eight-letter word. The second four letters were H-E-A-D. So maybe you can figure that out. That was the relationship that I had with my dad, and my dad had with me, before I had the opportunity to lead him to Christ. Of course people are going to be hostile to you if you're the messenger of the gospel, if you're a messenger of Jesus before they've given their life to Christ. They don't know any better. They're just following the sinful nature. They're just following the flesh, whether you want to call it sinful nature, whether you want to call it the flesh. I don't want to straighten ass and swallow camels. All I know is that I got a problem. Me, myself, and I, I woke up in it this morning. You did too. And it does not want to obey the Holy Spirit. But guess what, I've got to say, and whether or not the sinful nature or the flesh, this body that I live in, obeys the Holy Spirit or obeys the spirit of Mike. You've got that choice too. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will not only be intentional and reach out to people who don't know Christ, but you'll also be courageous in the face of persecution because you have a bigger fish to fry. And it's not popularity with the people around you. It's faithfulness to Almighty God. 
And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be fearless about people. You'll be fearful in a reverential, respectful way about God, and you will be courageous. Look at what they did here. Instead of hightailing it out of there, verse three, Acts 14, they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Acts chapter 14 is the only time that the word apostle is used of Barnabas, one of the, uh, somebody who's not one of the 12 apostles that Jesus built up and mentored and discipled. And so just a little side note here, there are apostles, the 12, and then the one who replaced Judas. We would use maybe a capital A in the English language. We would refer to them as the, the apostles, okay? The 12. But then you can use maybe a lowercase a to refer to an apostle as somebody who's sent, somebody who's sent on a journey. And that's the way it's being used here in this sense. Paul uses it with a capital A in regard to himself and in regard to Peter. But an apostle is also in the Bible somebody who is sent. So there's a distinction that needs to be made scripturally between the 12 apostles, capital A, and another apostle as somebody where God's hand is upon them and they're sent by Almighty God. An apostle, the word apostle means somebody who is sent, all right? But no matter how you want to look at it, the thing we need to understand with absolute clarity is that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be intentional about reaching out to other people. You should have a hit list. Your life should be prioritized around the priority of God, which is the Great Commission. Go into all the world, your workplace, your neighborhood, your family, and preach the gospel. Teach people everything that Jesus commanded. Teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded. Start with where God has planted you. Be intentional. Have a spiritual hit list, all right? And be courageous. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be courageous and you will be opposed. It's part of what comes with following Jesus. You're going to be opposed. You probably have not been as opposed as Barnabas and Paul were. And now if they could succeed through the filling with the Holy Spirit, then you can succeed in your circumstance, in your family, and in your neighborhood, at the workplace, because the same spirit that filled Barnabas and Paul and led them to do these things with tremendous success is the same spirit who fills you as a believer. Same spirit. So don't sit and have a pity party for yourself when my situation is different or my persecution is so difficult or get over yourself, surrender to God, let him fill you up. Yes, you leak. I leak. Every human being leaks, right? We need to be filled every day and then moment by moment of every day. We're all in this together for the gospel of God, for the glory of God. And the same spirit who filled Barnabas and Paul, the same spirit who filled the apostles and the believers that we've been reading about again and again and again in the book of Acts. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His methods are the same in that he wants you to be intentional. He wants me to be intentional. They were intentional about leading people to Jesus. So you need to be intentional. You need to have a spiritual hit list. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be courageous when you would otherwise be a coward. It's true of Barnabas and Paul. It was true of all of the believers in the book of Acts. And guess what? It was true not just in the first century. It's also true in the 21st century. We're all cowards left 
to ourselves. We're all cowards when we allow ourselves to be distracted by lesser things, somebody else's vision, somebody else's mission, somebody else's agenda for our lives. When the only agenda for your life and for mine that really is the one that we should adjust the rest of our lives around is God's agenda which is to glorify him and to lead as many people to Christ and disciple them as possible. You might say to yourself, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not Billy Graham for Pete's sake. I don't even know where to start. But you can be involved with other people in the Great Commission, in the task of evangelism. You might not be an evangelist, but you are called to be involved in evangelism. There is no believer who can say, well, that's not my mission. God didn't call me to be part of that thing. He did. In the workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, God wants you to be an effective witness for his son, Jesus. And when you think about how you've been forgiven of all of your sins, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. When you think of all the goodness of God that he not only saved you from your sins, but also raised you with Christ and seated you with Christ, as Ephesians chapter two says, and seated you in a position of authority with him in the heavenly places where you didn't even deserve that. When you think of all the good things that God has done for you, is there a coworker who's done more for you than that? You might have wonderful, beautiful parents who cared for you in a variety of ways, but I can pretty much guarantee you that even the best parents on planet Earth have not done that much for their children because they're incapable. Is there any neighbor who is so dark and dastardly that they're worthy of being more fearful about them than being reverential toward God? Look at all that God, through Christ, has done for you in removing all of your sins. Surely, you can be courageous and you will be courageous with the filling of the Holy Spirit to stand up and speak out and talk to people and to live kindly through the power of the Holy Spirit, that kind of kindness, to live a holy life that catches the attention of your coworkers and your neighbors and your family. That's what it means to be salt and light. Salt changes the flavor of something. That's why God puts you where he puts you. You might say, well, it's a terrible place. I hate my work environment. I hate family gatherings. Thanksgiving's coming up, and some of you already are getting nervous about family gatherings, and the holidays are coming up. Salt changes the flavor of an environment, of a place that would otherwise be distasteful. And guess what? That's why he sent you as the salt shaker into that very place. God wants to shake things up, make that distasteful place more tasteful, courtesy of the Holy Spirit who will fill you if you will let him, if you'll empty yourself of self. The Spirit of God will fill you up and you will be salt in a distasteful situation. Light. We turn off all the lights in this auditorium. I could strike a single match right up here on the platform and everybody would see it. The deeper the darkness, the more the smallest of all lights shines brightly. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. The imagery that's presented in the scriptures about being light is intentional. God puts you 
in a dark place. God will put you in dark places so that your single solitary light will be enough to cut through the darkness and people can see their need for Jesus as their savior just as you saw him as your need. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be intentional about seeking the lost. You'll have a spiritual hit list, praying for people and going after them for the glory of God. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be courageous where you would otherwise be cowardly. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, here's another thing, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be unstoppable. You will be unstoppable. Look with me at verse 19, beginning in verse 19 of Acts chapter 14. And you know, we're just touching the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that I wanted to share from this particular passage. I wanted to talk about Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, about being transformed by the renewal of our minds and how the people were poisoning the minds of others against Paul and Barnabas and how it began in their minds they were poisoned. They were inflamed in their minds and then by the time we get to verse five, they're willing to act on what was in their minds and how everything begins in the mind. And then if it can be successfully planted in the mind, then eventually it will be acted upon with the body. I wanted to talk with you about Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, about how God targets your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Your body, your life will be transformed by the renewal of one thing, your mind. I wanted to talk about that, even more than I talked about it right now. I wanted to talk about the two kinds of people, disobedient people and obedient people. In Ephesians chapter two, that Paul talks about All of you lived before you knew Christ as everybody lives before they know Christ as a son or a daughter of disobedience and how here the word unbelieving in Acts chapter 14 verse two could also be translated as unbelieving but the unbelieving Jews, right? But that's for you to take home and to meditate on the word of God and to study and to chew on the word of God. I want to talk with you about 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10, about how Paul, writing to the people who lived in Thessalonica, who he ministered to in his missionary journeys, how he reminds them that they turned from false gods to the living and true God. And how that's significant because he talks about in verse 15, you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But I just want to whet your appetite for the word of God. All we're doing is touching on a few key points here for you to be encouraged so that you know when you read the Bible, the kinds of things to look for. And the more you read the Bible, the more you'll see that it's the best commentary on itself. A steady Diet and God's word will help you understand God's word and you'll grow up in your faith. You'll mature in your faith. But now let's get to this third characteristic because you need to know about it. This third characteristic as we come to our conclusion about what your life will look like if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll be intentional, you'll be courageous, and you'll be unstoppable. Acts 14, verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So he got a beating. He was stoned so badly that they thought he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, they probably prayed for him. He rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went 
on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's not that through tribulation, that's how we get saved. This is a nod back to Acts chapter nine. This is a nod back to Acts chapter nine, verse 16, where Jesus tells Paul, where Jesus told the guy who laid hands on Paul, I'm gonna show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. This idea of giving your life to Christ and Jesus is going to make everything in my life comfortable and convenient is not scriptural. And many within the body of Christ have ingested the Kool-Aid and our prayer lives are often focused on God, take away the pain, take away the difficulty, take away the hardship, take away the persecution, which is not even the kind of persecution that they're experiencing in many other countries. And we confuse spirit-filled living with a lifestyle of comfort and convenience. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll not only be intentional about reaching the lost, you'll not only be courageous and stand up and speak out and share the gospel, you'll also be unstoppable. You would think by this point, Paul has already had enough. I mean, we're not even, we're about halfway through the, the book of Acts and you think already, hey, I had it pretty good as a leader of the Jewish people, as a Pharisee. I was set to be the leader of the leaders. That was the Apostle Paul. We're gonna go on to see how he experiences more and more hardship and that that prophetic word spoken of about Paul in Acts chapter nine is not just true about the Apostle Paul, it's true about anybody and everybody who wants to follow Jesus. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be unstoppable. No matter what happens against you, no matter what the enemy throws at you, no matter what the world throws at you, no matter what your own flesh throws at you, if you are and when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, ain't nothing gonna stop you from telling people about Jesus. If they don't wanna hear it here, they're gonna hear it there because the Spirit of God will not allow you the only way you can shut the Spirit of God up is if you tell him, I'm going to be disobedient. I'm not going to open my mouth. I'm not going to surrender. That is the only way because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Haven't you noticed that? The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. Powerful, unstoppable, but yet he will yield to you if you don't want him to move in your life. Paul who was filled with the Holy Spirit is a beautiful example of us today. I don't care if you're 80 years old, you still got some more run in the race. I don't care how long you've served the Lord and what you've done in ministry in your past, it does not matter what's in your past. What matters right now is what's in your present. There's nobody who reaches the age where they can say I've done enough for Jesus, let somebody else be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've got brain waves, if you've got breath in your lungs, you have an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be unstoppable, unstoppable for Almighty God until your dying breath. That is what God will do in your life. 
That is what God does in the life of every believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit. You become intentional about reaching the lost, you become courageous about reaching the lost, and you become an unstoppable force to be reckoned with, not because of what you bring to the table, but because of what God fills you with, who God fills you with, the Holy Spirit. You can be, you should be, you need to be a man or a woman filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.